Job, except Jesus. Turn to Job chapter 1. I've been observing death situations for 47 years. When I first went into the ministry, my beloved godly pastor one night told me, he said, uh, as a minister, you will see more sorrow than any other vocation. But he said, you will see more joy as well. I have found those two things to be true. I want to speak today on how to minister to the hurting in view of what has happened to our beloved Larry and his family. Uh, yesterday, while I was there, I got a call from uh, his Sunday school class, and uh, a representative from the class called me and said, Brother Jack, uh, what can I tell the Sunday school class tomorrow? What can we do? How can we help? And I think that's the question every Christian asks at a time like this. Uh, how can we help? What can we do? How can we minister when a loved one is lost, when a tragedy like this occurs? So let me share with you seven things very quickly. Number one, be there for them. In Job chapter 2 and verse 11, we often hear what Job's friends did wrong, but they started off doing some things right. They started off running the race pretty good. Verse 11, Job 2. Now, when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity, and remember, he had lost all of his children, all of his wealth, and he was covered with painful boils or sores. Now, when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, each one came from his own place. Elphaz, the Timonite, and Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Namathite. For they had made an appointment together to come and to mourn with him and to comfort him. The first thing is to be there for them. In Job chapter 6 and verse 14, after they started preaching to him, he said, to him, Job said, to him who is afflicted, kindness, and this is the Hebrew word hesed, loving kindness, to him who is afflicted, who's hurting, kindness should be shown by his friend. Even though he may be going through a season of doubt and questioning, even though he forsakes the fear and the reverence of the Almighty. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. I love that passage. It says that God is the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our hurts and sorrows. And then he, he says in that, in that passage of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, when God comforts us in our tribulations and sorrows, he does that, one of the reasons is so we can comfort others. So when a tragedy like this occurs, someone you know, uh, you need to be there for them. Uh, it means a whole lot. And let me say this is especially true of you if you've been through what they're going through. I can't tell you what it will mean to them just to see you, just to hug you. Uh, I've told you the story of Ron Dunn, my favorite Bible teacher. He's in heaven now and his son committed suicide. He had a lot of depression problems. And uh, 
Ron moved on with his life. He was a great Bible teacher, and he was preaching a revival once at a church, and this lady came and every night would come forward and shake his hand and say, it's good to see you smile every night. It's good to see you smile. And finally, the last night she said that, and, and uh, Ron Dunn, the preacher, said, well, tell me something. Why do you say that? She said, because I lost my daughter in a car accident about a month ago, and I know that you lost your son. I was just wondering, would I ever smile again? And so if you have been through something similar, it doesn't mean you have to preach a sermon, but it just you being there especially will comfort us. Now Jesus said in Matthew 18, 20, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. I, be I believe when Christians gather together, there's a special presence of the Lord. And, and it will mean a lot at that time. So be there for them. Secondly, weep with them. Look at Job chapter 2 and at verse 12. And when they raised their eyes from afar and did not recognize him, they lifted their voices and wept. And this other part was a custom, and each tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head toward heaven. And that was an expression of mourning for the Old Testament people and instill that in some cultures today. The shortest verse in the Bible in the English translation is what? Jesus wept. And that was at the graveside of a dear friend, uh, Lazarus, and as his sisters were weeping, whom Jesus was close to. The Bible says in Romans 12, 15, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean if you're not a very emotionally geared person, you have to literally cry. But empathize, sympathize. It, sometimes tears speak louder than words, folks. There's different ways you can express your sympathy. Three, now you're listening to this, and nobody needs it any more than preachers, but I can guarantee you the preachers in here this morning have seen this and would amen what I'm going to say. Don't preach. It is not a time to preach. If I, was, if I had a hammer and I was banging on your thumb right now and I started preaching to you would you hear a word I said no you're hurting too bad now there will come a time later where they're ready to listen to the Lord however the Lord wants to speak to them but right, this isn't a time for you to say oh well now uh, you know just, it's just inappropriate unless they ask you just be there. You weep with them. You sympathize with them. Uh, people say to me all the time, Brother Jack, what do I say at a time like this? I don't know what to say. You know what we preachers would tell you? We don't know what to say either. So if you don't know what to say, it's best not to say it, right? The Bible says in Proverbs 15, 20, uh, uh, 10, 19, in the multitude of words, there lacketh not sin, but he who restrains his lip is wise. Be there for them. Sympathize with them. Weep with them. Don't preach. You don't have to know all the answers. I was asked a why question yesterday. Uh, not from Gloria, but uh, from one of the children. And I could have gone into a long theological spiel. I, I just didn't feel like I should say a word. But I gave him a big hug. 
Ike now four. This is what I had to go back after. Allow them time to grieve. Job 2, 13. All right, you're looking at it. So they sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him. Oh, yeah, I forgot to read that about not preaching. For they saw that his grief was very great. Now, these friends backslid from that and did start preaching. But at this point, they're doing good. Give them time to grieve. Uh, some cultures, in fact, the Hebrew culture in much of the Old Testament, they would allow at least a month, I think, at least a month for the family just to grieve, to grieve. And so what I want to do is I want to share with you just quickly the stages of grieving. Okay, now, this comes from the psychological world, but I think you'll find it true in your experience. Now, let me say this. Not every person necessarily goes through all of these stages, nor do they move through them in this exact order. However, realizing these are common stages of grief people experience can encourage us in a time of loss. Okay, here they go. The denial or shock stage. At first, you're just in shock. I can't believe this happened. That's where the church is right now. I just ran into one of our members coming back from the office to the auditorium. And uh, they said, because they've known Larry longer than I have, and they said, I just can't believe it. The shock stage. Second, the emotional stage. Now, again, they may not go through all of them the same way. Do not be afraid or ashamed if you suddenly, without warning, find yourself weeping uncontrollably. We are emotional beings. God gave us tear glands for a purpose. The all alone stage, where you feel deserted, forsaken, and even depressed. The panicky, panicky stage. How can we go on? How can we make it? The person we lost was such a significant part of our life. Now here's one that I see almost always, the guilt stage. I should have been there. What if? What if? And you have a tendency to blame yourself or sometimes blame others. The anger stage, yep. A natural response to hurt is anger. We may feel angry at the doctor, the minister, or even the person who died for leaving us. We may even feel angry at God. God's got big shoulders, folks. The resistance stage. Friends and family who expressed such concern at first have returned to their busy routines of life. They seem to have forgotten how precious our departed loved one was. If we return to some normality in life, it would be as though we too have forgotten. Therefore, for we resist moving on with our life. Marsha lost her dad uh, suddenly at a church picnic. He had an aneurysm, they think. Just fell over dead. And uh, she said, I I'm amazed. Uh, she's told me this when we were first even going together. She said, I'm amazed at how quickly people are forgotten. Not by their close loved ones, but, but you know, life moves on. And then the eighth stage, uh, the resolve or return stage. This is when we begin to move on with our lives. A ray of sunlight breaks, begins to break through the gray clouds of gloom. There's hope for the first time. We resolve to go on with our lives. Now, for some people, that, that may be sooner than for others. Give people time to grieve. 
okay? And then five, of course, pray for them. Now, it doesn't say these three guys prayed for Job, but you would think if they sat there seven days with him, you kind of think they would have prayed for him. But John 5.13 says, Is anyone among you, and he's talking to the church, is anyone among you suffering, let him pray, and let the church pray. And the Greek word for suffering there is not physical suffering. It's not. It's talking about it's because of certain circumstances. Or in some cases, not this one, of course, with Larry, but in some certain circumstances because of sin in their life. Discipline. Somebody suffering? Pray. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1.11, you also helping together in prayer. And he's talking about when he was facing death. Now, you've said this. I've seen this in my life, and I've heard it more times than I can remember. We felt those prayers. Did you know that? You can feel people's prayers. That's why it's so important that the church be a house of prayer and that we have our prayer meetings on Wednesday night and at other times. So you may wonder, what can I do? Well, I can tell you one thing you can do, and it's a big thing. You can be praying for them, praying for them. And six, offer practical help, but don't be a nuisance. Don't overhelp. Galatians 6, 2, and 5. I shared it with you last week. It says in verse 2, bear one another's burdens. And the Greek word for burdens there is something too heavy for them to bear alone. But then in the same context in verse 5, it says each one shall bear his own burden. Different Greek word. It just means a load that they're able to bear. It's interesting that the Bible says when Job's friends approached Job, they didn't even recognize him. Why? Well, verse 7 tells us of Job 2, there were painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Now, I don't know where they came from exactly, if they had much medicine or anything, but you know, it would have been nice if they had brought a little salve or something, a balm or something. Sometimes you forget that practical help at a time like this can mean a whole lot. They needed to get in touch with the funeral home yesterday. And uh, I have the funeral home on my phone, Carver Funeral Home. And uh, I said, Gloria, I'll, I'll be glad to call them. So I was just thankful I was able to help in that way and to go back and forth with them till they got there. But there are other, many other ways. I'm not patting myself on the back, believe me, uh, I'm not. But uh, there are ways you can practically help. When Paul was in the Mamertine dungeon, he told Timothy, he said in 4.13, bring the cloak or the coat that I left. That doesn't sound real spiritual. It's cold. Now, this doesn't mean you do everything for them because I have actually seen the fact that sometimes when you lose a loved one, having some things to do can even be therapeutic. You know, because sometimes it's hard if you just sit there and don't do anything. But help where you can and where you feel like you should. And then seventh, and I'm finished, don't forget them. James 1.27, and you find this theme in the Bible, visit the orphans and the widows in their distress 
and that implies anyone who's in a desperate situation, a distressful situation. Uh, this is pure religion and undefiled. Uh, my mother and dad are buried in the cemetery in Drew, Mississippi. Drew's just gone down, 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 down. That's where they're buried. And my sister and I have an unsolved mystery. Somebody regularly puts flowers on their grave. We don't know who it is, but it means so much to us. Somebody hasn't forgotten. Maybe a relative, maybe an old friend. And sometimes for those of us that are really close to someone who loses a loved one, put the date down on your calendar. And the next year when it rolls around, send them a card. Give them a call. It, it just lets, lets them know. Because they hadn't forgotten, but it lets them know that you haven't forgotten either. I'm not sure how to give an invitation after this sermon, but I know how to give an invitation. Let's stand and bow our prayers. <laughs> bow together for prayer. If you came to hear a great theological discourse today, I'm sorry, that's just not what was on my heart. Uh, come back tonight. God says we are to comfort one another with the comfort we've been comforted with. Let's not be selfish Christians. Let's minister to one another when we have a need. Who is always our example? God. We're to be imitators of God, the Bible says in Ephesians. God didn't sit up in heaven after we chose to sin and suffered the consequences of suffering and death and living in a sin-cursed world. God didn't just sit up in heaven and say, well, I told you so. I'm sorry. He so loved the world he sent his only begotten son to die on a cross for our sins so that we might be forgiven of our sin. And when we face troubles and trials, we are his children once we're saved. And he lives within us. He rose from the grave and he gives us strength. God wanted us to have strength. He wanted us to have his word as a guide. It's like Gloria said yesterday, Brother Jack, how can people face this? without the Lord I can tell you they don't face it well I've seen that side of it too but God provided a way of salvation so that one day before you know it and for all eternity we will never cry never hurt never say goodbye anymore now we need to follow his wonderful example Jesus is a wonderful example. The Holy Spirit's a wonderful example. And we need to reach out and minister to those that God places in our lives, especially when they're hurting. May God give us the grace and wisdom to do for do that. If you've never trusted Christ as your own personal Lord and Savior, won't you believe on Him today? Won't you trust Him today? If God would lead you today to make another spiritual decision, make it. 
if God would have you to move your church letter, would you do that today? If like uh, Mora, you realize, you know I'm saved, but I, I've not been baptized like I should, do you need to come make that decision? And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing.